Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello, lovely wine lovers. Hope the week is going okay for you. So today's episode is all about the wines of Rioja and specifically the wonderful winery Ramon Bilbao. I'm joined today by Greta Megroff, who is the brand ambassador for this awesome winery. Now, Side note for anybody wanting to educate yourself more on the wines of Rioja, type into Google Rioja Wine Academy. The wines of Rioja have created this diploma that you can do. So a course that's online, there'll be a little certificate at the end. If you do it, then you get your diploma. Let me know so I can personally congratulate you. So one of the questions I often get about Rioja is what does crianza or reserva mean when you look at the label? Now, they're not actually quality levels. What they mean are ageing terms. So if you don't see anything on the label, it probably is just a generic wine. It's a young wine. They might call it joven. That means young in Spanish. And it means a year or two. It's been maybe an oak, maybe not. But that's it. The maximum the wine has been is up to two years. When you see Crianza on a bottle, and I'm actually going to tell you red wines, because of course you can find these for white wines as well, but let's just look at red wines. Red wine Crianza has to age for two years and it will spend one year in oak. Reserva, same amount of time needed in oak, so one year, but actually three years in total. So two years total aging for Crianza and three years for Reserva. When it gets to Gram Reserva, it is five years in total before it can be released and at least two years in oak. So that gives you an idea in terms of the fact that they'll have more time to gain some oaky flavours. So they'll be more concentrated, maybe a little bit more tobacco, maybe a little bit more smoky, dried fruits, especially when you start getting to the Grand Reservas. And of course, None of these terms, you expect lovely, juicy fruit. The younger Riocas will always have more red fruits. And then as they get older, they'll go darker fruits. Tempranillo is the main grape variety of Rioja. And when it's young, it's very fresh and fruity. And then as it gets older, with age and with oak, it gets more dusty and tobacco and you get that leather. So expect those differences depending on what wine you're picking. Now, of course, as I mentioned, you can get white wines that are aged. So if you see either a Crianza, a Reserva or a Gran Reserva for white wines, they all have to have had at least six months of aging in barrel. But with the Crianza, after that six months, it can be released. With the Reserva, it needs to be held back for two years and with a Gran Reserva, four years. So that hopefully gives you an idea there. The main great variety for white Rioja is Viura. This is also known as Macabeo. So one of the main grape varieties used in Carva. This grape variety is very kind of melon, lemony, lime, a little bit of herbal nature, and it has that real incredible ability to age. And as it does, expect flavours of caramelised honey, even roasted pineapple, kints, and a real oily richness. And seeing, as I mentioned, Viura, 
or Macabeo, as they call it in Catalonia generally for their cava production, cava can be made in Rioja. And specifically, you can have a Rioja sparkling wine, which we made in the traditional method. If it doesn't have any labelling term on it, it will be a more generic style. It needs a minimum of 15 months after its second fermentation, resting in bottle. If it says Reserva, it's 24 months in that bottle. And if it says Gran Añada, so not Gran Reserva, but Gran Añada, it is 36 months. So maybe you might want to listen back to this, take a pen and paper. (laughs) Oh, I might point out, I am now transcribing, yay me, these episodes. And so go to the show notes, you'll see the link, you can download the PDF file and you can listen along and hear all this stuff I am mentioning. So hopefully that is helpful. So typically, Rioja is a blended wine. Occasionally, they do use single varieties and you will then typically see that written on the label. But as standard, Tempranillo takes the main seat. I've already talked about that quickly. Garnacha is the great variety that comes in second. And Garnacha is very different. It's loads of red fruits, red raspberries, white pepper, much more alcohol, bigger, rounder embodied, and not as high acidity, but lovely juiciness. The other two great varieties that people are not so familiar with are Mazzuello. This is a great variety that can really add acidity to the blend. And the other one, which I adore, and I think a lot of winemakers really do too, Graciano. The issue with Graciano is that it is very low yielding. It's also not an easy grape to grow, but it has loads of aroma, loads of spice. It's beautiful and powerful. It has real ability to age and loads and loads of structure. So if you ever see a single variety Graciano, do check it out. Now, I realise there's so many things I could talk about with Rioja. So let me know, get in contact. I'll maybe do another bonus podcast for Rioja, maybe on the terroir, maybe on Viñedos Singulares, which is the top quality classification now for single vineyard wines. Let me know. But for now, let's go to the interview with Greta. Thank you so much, Greta, for joining me. I really appreciate you coming to talk about Ramon Belbao. You're most welcome. Pleasure to be here. And how long have you been working for Ramon Belbao? So it's been over two and a half years now. Mm. So I've done two full cycles of sort of crazy summer events and mm. traveling around the country, going to Spain. So nice. it's been, yeah, a really good run. I'm slightly jealous. I, I I have my own personal relationship with Rioja. And actually part of it is dedicated to my dad, who is a very middle class, educated gentleman with degrees. Very funny, but he's not silly. I took him to Rioja for his 60th birthday and we spent three days in Rioja going around and he actually found it like it was a sweetie store for children and he called it Rioja Land and I thought that he was joking <laughs> but then he, but then literally when we got back to England he carried on telling I heard him telling stories and stories about Rioja Land to other adults and I just thought it was just the cutest thing in the world. So Rioja Land it is. So That's so special. And I think, yeah. well, I've been, <laughs> yeah, I feel really re- lucky to have been working with uh, Rioja for these couple of years. And then before mm. that, I was working for FIPS. So with wines, mm-hmm. um, wines from Rioja as a whole. So I've been yeah. like... Yeah, I've had a relationship with the region for quite a while, but I totally agree. Like my dad 
likes drinking Rioja, though between you and me, he his go-to is Muriel. So I mean, he'll oh, drink no. he'll drink Ramon Bilbao like absolutely cut this, cut this. any anything that he gets from me, of course. Yeah, but, of course, if it's free, yeah. it helps. Right. Yep. Hey, he's willing to pay as well, but he buys Muriel in the co-op too. Um, but I, yeah, from traveling around the UK and Ireland, it's mm-hmm. amazing how many people like have a relationship with the region and they want to come up and talk to you about like when they went to Ado or Logroño or when they've yeah. been to Bilbao. Mm. So it's great to work for such a well-known wine region. Oh, for sure. And you mentioned Logroño, which for anyone who doesn't know is the capital of La Rioja. Oh, it's just the it's pinchos isn't it the the food is called pinchos no is it called pinchos? yeah so um pinchos tapas so pinchos is the basque mm. name so on the basque mm-hmm. side you've got pinchos but the famous street in logroño that you've got to yes. go to is calle lorel so oh. everyone that's been mm-hmm. on a trip there talks about like the little mm-hmm. roasted mushrooms that they do so you get like a pincho <sighs> with a roast mushroom mm-hmm. and a little shrimp on top um, I've always loved, like, surprisingly, because it's, I mean, Galicia is famous for pulpo or octopus, but there's uh-huh. actually a really good place that does pulpo a la gallega, so Galician-style mm-hmm. octopus. So that, with a glass of, like, white Rioja or Albarino, is just perfect. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Yeah, you can stumble from bar to bar yeah. and have a little glass of wine and a tapas in each place and every single one is special for mm-hmm. like a different thing. You know, the funny thing that we, this is obviously completely away from the wine, but yeah, I'm going there anyway. The one thing we thought was so amazing about being in that main street of Logroño, we were there until late at night drinking our wines and eating our food and moving along, as you said, to, you know, bar after bar and place. And what happens is, which I th- find is so strange, this would never happen in England is that the they sweep out all the tissues and all the rubbish that everyone just drops on the floor just literally out onto the main street don't they so by the end of the night there's just so much kind of rubbish on the street and I was a bit like oh okay cool like no no worries it kind of it adds to this fiesta environment but then you wake up we got up I think the next day at like eight o'clock in the morning and the streets were perfect you have to hand it to the people in Spain they tidy up perfectly after any (laughs) evening out I mean it was superb it was just a memory it was just fantastic well if you think it was like grubby after people have been out like drinking and throwing Mm -hmm. their little napkins on the floor apparently (laughs) the history of the Uh Calle Lorel is it used to be the red light district so (laughs) now that gets more interesting so it was a little bit dirtier yeah it was a little bit grubbier And the little (laughs) bars and tapas spots popped up for the punters who were a little bit peckish after their visit to Kyla Rell. So that Ah. apparently is how it sprung up as, um, yeah, like a a foodie hotspot. I love that. That's an awesome story. There you go. Everybody, if you didn't want to go there just because of the pinchos and the wine, now, you know, there you go. Go and check out how it used to be. Um, (laughs) I should add, not like that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, don't go for that. Go for the wine, but just... Go for the sense of feeling. God, I'll, I'll shut up now. Right, I want to drink some of the wine that I have in front of me. Now, I have two different bottles. I'm a very lucky girl. Do you? What do you have in front of you? So I've got yep, yeah, same two bottles as you. Mm, um, okay. 
the Ramon Bilbao Edición Limitada, uh, mm-hmm. which I think we should definitely go for okay. first, because that's okay. maybe a more, we'd call it maybe a more modern style of Rioja. It's a Criantha by category, but it mm-hmm. might surprise you with its characteristics as not perhaps fitting into your traditional idea of a Criantha. Mm-hmm. And then the other wine is the Viñedos de Altura, so that one, I was thinking, try that one second, just because it's 50% Garnacha, so it's got a little bit more oomph to it as well. So okay. the first style is a little more restrained, and then the second one, Altura, is a little more spicy and bold. Okay, so this one, the Edición Limitada, is this 100% Tempranillo? Yep, it's 100% Tempranillo from Rioja Alta, so the towns where the grapes come from. Yeah, near to Aro, Vialba, Cuscarita and Abalos. Yeah, tell me, obviously I know the winery is in Aro, but all the vineyards are completely in uh, Rioja Alta? So the Tempranillo comes from Rioja Alta and mm-hmm. some of the wines that we make with Garnacha, the Rosado, for example, and the mm-hmm. Vineyard de Altura, you've got some Garnacha on the Rioja oriental side but okay. yeah. overall Ramon Bilbao's got about well it's like 400 hectares of vineyards which are managed and like yeah scrupulously managed by um, long-term um, relationships we have with growers and then mm-hmm. about 75 hectares of owned vineyards in the Rioja Alta area as well. That's not bad. <laughs> It's a decent amount to keep you going, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I am loving this. So I'm just we'll talk about this in a second. I'm just gonna drink it. I want (laughs) I'd like to drink it whilst you just tell me a little bit of the story of Ramon Bibao, if you could introduce us all listening to this winery a little bit more. Totally. So Ramon Bilbao, one of the first things people usually ask me is, is Ramon Bilbao in Bilbao? I mean, we know it's Ah. from Rioja, (laughs) but when I'm doing events, people often ask that. But his Mm -hmm. name is Ramon Bilbao and he was from around Bilbao. So he's born in the foothills of Bilbao, but he was taken to Rioja by, I mean, this is just such a textbook story that he fell for a girl from Rioja. Oh. So he ended up going down to Rioja. And in 1924, he set up the Ramon Bilbao winery. Mm-hmm. And if you visit the winery, you get to see a little bit of what it used to look like as well. So you've got the lagares, so the big traditional tanks. You've got big traditional oak vats and the kind of wines that people would have used to drink really without much, well, without any barrel aging, but just fermented mm-hmm. in big Um, oak barrels as well Mm -hmm. and then we've got really a sort of -of state-of-the-art winery which has been completely renovated in 1999 so that was when our winemaker chief winemaker came on board and his name is Rodolfo Bastida so he's Mm -hmm. really well known in the industry I mean he's worked with Rioja for I don't know how long but he's been with Ramon Bilbao since 1999 and he is I would say kind of the heart and soul of of the winery as well like he Mm. um, he's overseen a lot of changes and Mm -hmm. kind of got us where we are today which is yeah one of the top 50 most admired wine brands I can very proudly say. I did see this on the website and what I also saw on the website was this really interesting story of a wooden bike what's the story of a wooden bike yes so the wooden bike I mean everything I've got the chance to do quite a few events really good sort of fun things in London for our sales guys at Enotra and Co and Mm -hmm. um, all sorts of different things but all of our language around Ramon Bilbao and what we try to do to show off the brand is all about the journey really so the wooden bike plays into our journey theme and um, where the journey begins 
you'll see on a lot of our stuff. Uh, but mm -hmm. it's because that Ramon Bilbao himself was a really big believer in traveling and exporting his wines really before it was a done thing. So okay. he could, we've got records that show he went to India, um, he was exporting wines to Cuba, to the Americas. To and Cuba. this is in, yeah, this is in his, his lifetime. And he started uh -huh. the winery in 1924. So we're talking, yeah, like 30s, 40s. Oh, nice slurp. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, I'm I'm listening. I'm listening and drinking a slurry. Sorry. Oh, there you go. Slurp away. <laughs> is this that works really well on audio? Yeah. Greta, is this a competition? Are you trying to outslurp me? Because if you are, I can slurp louder. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't dare. No. Okay. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we understand that. I'm sorry. Carry on with your conversation whilst I slurp. That's... No, that's really, that's really all I had to say is that Ramon Bilbao, yeah. we have him to thank, I guess, for where we are today and mm -hmm. being such a like well-recognised, worldly wine brand in sort of markets all over the world. And yeah. the bike is just one way of keeping that story alive. If you look at the bottles you've got as well, you'll see he's on every bottle. Oh, so okay. he comes up on our Crianza and Reserva sort of sailing the seven seas on a clock. And on the Vignette of Sailtura, he's climbing the mountains and um, which is just to show off the altitude concepts yeah and i love the labels to be honest so now i this is delicious this is a really approachable bit serious concentrated wine i like all the fruits in it so it really is very juicy with kind of like a bit of a chocolatey nature but then these nice kind of chewy tannins on the finish so more kind of fun approachable on the nose but actually quite there's a masculinity on the palate, but just really vibrant. I Oh, what would you say is the masculinity on the palate? Mm. Because I find this quite interesting. Mm -mm. Like I think it's the tannin structure. Like okay. and the fact that it's I suppose they're quite chewy. Um, but in a good way. Mm -hmm. And there's a slight meatiness, which I think is a really nice contrast from what... So on the nose, it's more for me the, the plumminess and the cherries and more of that vibrant fruit. And then it, for me, the oak is very subtle. It's very... There's just that softness of cedar. It's all kind of in the background. So when I'm drinking it, because of that tannic structure, I feel it's just got that... I feel I, some muscles. It's a man with some muscles. But yeah, actually... Okay. But he's in like a really nice, soft, pale pink T-shirt. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, he is a multifaceted. Yes, he is. Guy, yeah, he can speak. He can also speak five languages. Brilliant. All the girls love him. So yeah, I, well, <laughs> I like. <laughs> I like that you picked up on yeah the softness and, of the cedar yeah, and like. that's kind of subtle spice mm. because this one is all about the French oak mm. and we have a wine called Mirto which you might yes. have tried. It's like the top wine kind of an homage to the Tempranillo grape made by Rodolfo, mm -hmm. our chief winemaker. And this is kind of like the baby brother of that wine. So in the Mirto vineyard, we've got plots which have vines which are like 80, 85 years old, like gnarly old Tempranillo vines Very nice. um, that have to be all like hand harvested. And we don't make Mirto every vintage. Obviously, we only make it in really special vintages. Mm -hmm. But some of the Mirto grapes from the Mirto vineyard will go into Edición Limitada. So it's that really great quality Tempranillo, um, those sort of little dark purpley mm. pearls of delicious Tempranillo. Mm -hmm. So this is all about the attention to the ingredients and then the soft use of French oak as well. So not in that sense, your traditional Rioja, because it's not super vanilla-y, not, not super American oak aged. Mm. But 
I think this this wine is actually a favourite for a lot of people I know who have tried some of our wines. So that is one of the reasons I wanted you to try it because it's kind of my go-to in the house. No, I just think it's... Well, how much would this retail at? So it retails around £15. Pounds. Oh, perfect. Um, you can get it on Great Wine Co. Mm-hmm. And we're actually coming up to doing an offer, so I can mention Ooh. it for anyone listening. We're going to do a 10% discount with the code JOURNEY10 on Great Wine Co. Get in there and quick. you can get all of our wines on there. Yeah, go How for it. How long does that last for? So I think it's going to be lasting till late um, October. Okay, stock up for Christmas, everyone. God. Yeah. I heard someone last week said it was like less than 100 days to Christmas. I just thought, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> I don't want to think of that. <laughs> anyway. I mean, at Christmas, Christmas is great, but I'm not ready for that. I Nor mean, I. D- who knows where the past six months have gone anyway. Yeah. How have you found um, brand ambassadoring in lockdown times? Tough as hell. My gosh. And I should probably point out, just to remind anyone who doesn't realise, I am the brand ambassador for Vigna Ventiscari. So both me and Greta have very similar positions. From being able to go to wine fairs to pour wines for people where you're pouring constantly all day to going into restaurants and wine shops and educating people on the wine and having all these different appointments and going to wine clubs and presenting the wine. So there's all these different activities to like, ah, I'm stuck in my house. How do I showcase the wines to people? So of course, as you know, it's like, let's go virtual. So I remember the first month I feel like I was just in shock. (laughs) I, yeah. I feel like there was a lot I can empathize mm-hmm. I feel there was a, like a lot of staring at the computer screen going what do I do what do I do what should like you know that was the first month then the second month it was like right okay I'm, I'm I'm down with this who can I contact for an Instagram live which importers want to contact their customers and we do some special tastings and and then I became a bit of a zoom queen <laughs> um brilliant but then of course then it, it eased off again because everybody had had their virtual tastings and everyone was used to to doing you know seeing these Instagram lives which were very fun at the beginning but then there was too much competition and it became quite difficult to get your slot or to potentially the time you are are taking so I'll be honest I've gone a bit more global now <laughs> so I take my wines and try and talk to people in lots of different countries that are in different situations and see if they want to have a chat and stuff but um yeah it's been do we use the word interesting? Yeah, we can use the word interesting. It's very diplomatic. But I do totally agree. I think it was a shock to the system <laughs> when I just watched all of my events and wine dinners and wine <laughs> fairs and just trips and um, things just sort of clear from my calendar. Um, I look back now on February and I think, because I went to Rioja in February mm-hmm. and it was actually sort of sunny and bright and you could see sort of sap coming from the vines as well and they were saying that that's actually it's not a great sign because it, the vines are sort of waking up quite early. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's turned out to be a decent vintage anyway but yeah going to Rioja in February and then you know March this all kicks off <laughs> And yeah, not being able to do wine fairs, not being able to 
go and visit customers because they've all closed down and I took it online as well so in the end in it was sort of start of April and mid-April mm-hmm. I did a series of live tastings under the banner of Spanish Wine Academy. Yes I want to talk to you about that but continue with your story. Mm-hmm. Yeah I had great fun doing the live tastings it's something like I think putting yourself out there on Instagram live to start with for the first one <laughs> is like right how's this gonna go and you know you just gotta sort of deal with the questions coming through taste the wines wines which I know like the back of my hand as well but it was just doing something new and in the end I I loved it Um, but I agree I think when we hit it sort of the first one was end of March and then a couple more in April and then I think there was a lot of people doing a lot Mm -hmm. of Instagram live tastings and things like that so yeah it was great to get a few under my belt and it meant I'll look back on lockdown and think we adapted we did good I think I had lots of wine in my house I drank a lot Apparently, consumption overall went down, but I definitely feel like my consumption, <laughs> yeah, was was steady. Steady is the right word. Not irresponsible, but steady. Totally agree with you. Never irresponsible. So, no. Can you tell me a little bit about this Spanish Academy that you guys are doing? This is something that Ramon Bilbao, it's your project, right? So Spanish Wine Academy was an idea of Ramon Bilbao to really position ourselves in the Spanish wine education and wine education sphere. Mm-hmm. So it's not just about the wines that Ramon Bilbao makes. It's about learning about Spanish wine in general. Mm-hmm. And the idea had been to do a press tasting and we were going to do a series of events around this Spanish Wine Academy concept with speakers who would talk about like altitude in Spanish winemaking, mm-hmm. um, Spanish white wines, and there were going to be different levels for um, like soms and people just some people who were just like getting to know getting introduced to Spanish wine and then some for press and sort of thought leaders which would be really delving into the nitty-gritty of some big topics as we were saying about lockdown our in-person events didn't go to plan (laughs) but you know these things can work really well online and we partnered with Decanter to release a series of articles on the kind of topics we were looking to talk about as well. So mm-hmm. um, Altitude in Spanish Wine, if anyone wants to check out the Decanter website, there's some really good articles that have been produced, Fair. which come under our Spanish Wine Academy and umbrella. And then the tastings that I was doing were in that category as well. So I did one on um, like revisiting Rosado, partnered with a couple of uh, guys on Instagram, like Josh from Word on the Grapevine, mm-hmm did one like introduction to Spanish whites with Harry from Grain to Grape and all sorts really. So the original plan was to do this tiered and multifaceted event with which we'd invite a lot of people to but we ended up doing it sort of online instead Mm -hmm. so I think these kind of events with Spanish Wine Academy are gonna continue because it's a really great thing to get involved in and we can sort of showcase other amazing wineries whether they're from Rioja or all around Spain um, and we can get our name out at the same time we've paused the events for the time being but there's some really interesting articles on Decanter that you can look out for and then when we do something whether it's consumer or trade we'll be sure to release details of that as well in the meantime we just drink the wines right that'll keep us going in the meantime drink the wines enjoy the wines like i'm on the other one already have (laughs) 
you are. Oh, you've cracked open the Altura. I need to catch up. Oh, well, I yeah, oh, I'll join. Sorry, am I going too fast? I mean, I just wanted to compare. No. You know, I couldn't help myself. No, that's a great idea. To- <laughs> so how are you finding the comparison like on the nose um, first? I think it's more floral, more red fruit, and a little bit spicier than the other one. Mm-hmm. Um Right, let me also, I might have to go back and forth, which is not the worst thing in the world. I think those three words would fit in to the idea of the introduction of Garnacha, right? Uh, People think about yeah. the sort of spice. Mm, actually, the red fruit and spiciness comes through much more. I think, let's go back. Oh, this is very serious, everyone. Let me go back to the other one now. Let me see what the palette was like because I felt like, am I still sticking with the masculine note? Let's see. Mm. Okay, and I'm definitely. The freshness, there's a lot more freshness and fruit going on with the Altura, whereas actually going back to the Ramon Bilbao, you can you do get more of the backbone of oak and the tannin. I'm sticking with it. I feel like the Altura is, is more silky smooth, more floral, uh, more violet, uh, softer and rounder. And the other one's a little bit, for me, a bit bolder, a little bit chunkier and a little bit more grippy. That's how I feel. Do they pass or do they fail? I, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't assessing you. I think you've summed it up beautifully, though. Uh, I would totally agree. There's more of that, the fine floral mm. notes and definitely the red fruits coming through on the Vigna yeah. de Altura. And I think the freshness really ties in with the idea that this is an altitude wine, right? So the reason it's the blend of Tempranillo 50 with Garnacha 50 is that both these towns, Abalos, mm-hmm. which is in Rioja Alta, mm-hmm. and then the Rioja Oriental, where the Garnacha comes from, is La Pedrita, okay. which was planted in 1969. Ooh, it's nice old vines. Yeah, they were both around an altitude of 700 metres. Okay. So that's what they have in common. Mm. Two different sites, about 700 metres in altitude, and the altitude naturally cooler temperatures at night, slowing down the ripening. I mean, there's so many great things about altitude winemaking, yeah. but this is our kind of this is our altitude wine. That's really interesting because it's funny. Only recently I found out because obviously for people who don't know the Rioja Oriental, who which also used to be in the past called Rioja Baja, generally it's typically around 400 meters, isn't it? And then you have in the Rioja Alta and obviously Alavesa much higher and then the highest altitude as far as I believe is about 800 meters in total in Rioja. I found out very recently that there are a few parts in Rioja Oriental that are 700 meters but so I just that's so funny that you said that your Garnacha is actually at 700 meters there because I didn't realize that there was that altitude in the Rioja Oriental, because people obviously assume it in the eastern side, it's much hotter, it's lower. That's why Garnacha grows really well there compared to the slightly more Atlantic side of Rioja, right? So is there a lot of 700 meter vineyards in the Oriental part? There's not. Yeah. There's, there's not loads, but there's the slopes of the Monte Yerga mm-hmm. mountain, which has this high altitude Garnacha. So actually in our rosés as well, we're working with plots in this Monte Yerga mm-hmm. slopes area. So yeah, I suppose you're right. Like the perception before what with Rioja Oriental being Rioja Baja is this perception of closer to the ground, more of a Mediterranean climate, mm. warmer, perhaps warm. And the reason that Garnacha tends to be made more there or cultivated more there because it likes a bit more heat. 
But yeah, you've got these pockets of altitude which you can use to make delightful high altitude garnetra as well. So yeah, Rioja Alta definitely associated with more of the higher altitude plots, but there is some to be found in Rioja Oriental as well. Um, so what is your favourite of the two wines that we just tasted? So oh, I think I would have to go with the Edición Limitada. I, I do really love the Vineros Altura as well. See, look, mm-hmm. I'm doing my good brand ambassadoring here. I love both. <laughs> I just love both so much. But I just think the Edition Limitada is so suave and um, soft. And I love the like French oak subtlety to it as well. That said, I am a big fan of Garnacha as a grape as well. Like I love wines from Priorat. I do tend to enjoy some Garnacha wines. But I'm going to go with the Edition Limitada. And I'm just speaking, well, I'm speaking <clears throat> from my gut there. Well, very interesting, because I would actually go for the uh, Vineros del Tura. Actually, this is if I was just drinking it. I think that the Edition Limitada would go with a lot more of the kind of, you know, your steaks and your lamb and your nice red meats. Whereas I feel like a paella or some charcuterie and cheese, I would rather have the Altura that I've got in front of me. The Altura for sure goes really well with like Moroccan food or anything mm, with like a bit of cumin or even cinnamon mm-hmm. as well or a bit of chilli too like maybe something with chorizo in like it can definitely balance really nicely sure. with that and the Edition Limitada I think you're right on it there with the lamb traditional like probably one of the most like traditional wine pairings in the mm. world is Rioja with lamb and I think the Edition Limitada is a great one for that it's a great show isn't it now I noticed the, these are the latest vintages aren't they they're both 2016 this is current vintage um, this is current vintage, yep. So if you're buying it from Great Western Wine or if you've had it in a restaurant, then you'll be on the 2016. I have tried the 2017. Mm-hmm. What do you feel about this vintage compared to other vintages? I found particularly the Vineros Altura. I think possibly my perception is still that it is a bit bolder, a bit spicier. I think that might be based on the fact that in previous vintages, it was a bit more like that. So the 2016... Mm-hmm is a little more delicate, I think, than the 2015 was. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, okay. I'm just waiting. Obviously, I know that the 2016 and 15 were pretty good vintages, but we haven't seen a vintage like 2010, have we? Yeah, 2010 and 2005? They're the ones that I tend to say to people if you're going backwards that people should look out for. Actually, in 2004 as well, I think, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think, yeah, I kind of remember them, some of them in fives, but in the last, like... 20 years 2005 is amazing the reservers Mm. that you can still get your hands on and the 2010 as you rightly say it was an excellent vintage and 2011 as well so our grand reserver is 2011 and you can still buy that and it is really special it's really tasty and that was 2011 was a fantastic year and going back further, I think 1964 Ooh. was meant to be like the greatest, oh, <laughs> the greatest <laughs> okay. vintage in Rioja ever. Mm-hmm. So if you're like looking out at an auction or something, maybe you could uh-huh. try something like that out. But I have been very fortunate to try some back vintages of the Ramon Bilbao wines and it's always a treat and obviously every bottle is like a bit of a time capsule in that way Mm. and it's amazing it's just so amazing how the 
winemakers seem to have that catalogue knowledge of exactly how every vintage went and it just yeah the memory the mind completely boggles but if you're there and you're so heavily invested in how your grapes are getting along I'm not surprised that you remember exactly how it went so tell me about some of the other wines like your whites don't come from Rioja you don't do any white Rioja do you we don't do any white Rioja no at the moment Mm. not going to rule it out for future Mm -hmm. but we have a winery in Rueda so makes some really good yeah. Rueda wines as well so uh, there's a young winemaker there called Sara Banuelos and she okay. works with Verdejo mostly so Verdejo being one of the star grapes for Rueda wines mm-hmm. and Sauvignon Blanc as well so the Rueda winery on Finca Las Amelias estate we've had since 2016 so Okay, so it's actually quite new. It's pretty new, yeah. It's pretty new. There's all sorts of fun things going on down there. So we did like an Edition Limitada white Rueda, which is aged on its lees and aged in Hungarian oak as well. And that's really nice. The Videcho always seems to go down really well when I'm doing wine dinners and events as well. It's like a really good example of fruity, fresh, zingy Videcho. And yeah, Mm -hmm. our Sauvignon is aged in three parts. So it's, well, fermented in three parts. So it's in foudre, it's in concrete and then stainless steel as well so the idea with that is to give like a nice balance of the characteristics from each technique really so it's Finca Las Amelias Estate. Is that in Valladolid? It's, yeah, the Rueda Winery is not far from Valladolid, yeah. Okay, fab. Do you ever get to go between the two when you, you know, back in the day when you used to be able to travel? <laughs> yeah, those were the days. The winery in Rueda is open to visitors for sure. And mm-hmm. you can go between the two. You can even go out to Rias Baixas as well. So I work as well with Marta Frades Albariño. Mm. This is all the same company, isn't it? Yes, so it's all owned by Zamora Company. Ah, Zamora, okay. Marda Fredders. Now, that is the Albrino in a blue bottle, isn't it? That has a... Am I I in trouble? Am I mentioning someone else's Albrino? Does it have a goat? The one that... No, you're not in trouble. (laughs) But Um, am I talking about the right bottle? You're talking about the right bottle, yeah. So... Oh, okay. This was the first... So this is the first Albarino that I ever, ever tried. Seriously? Mm. What an honour. There you go. And And I loved it. And... I just remember finding out that, yeah, you could put the wine in the fridge and when it's cold enough that a boat would appear on the label, which is just awesome. It's a lot of fun, yeah. I like showing that off as yeah. well, the thermosensitive label if we're being mm-hmm. scientific about it. Um, but Well, yeah. Marta Frades is made by a lovely lady called Paola Vandinho. She was actually named one of the top 20 most influential Spanish female winemakers. And yeah, she's just... Viva the female. Viva. Yes. Yeah, viva la mujer. Viva la chica. Sí. <laughs> sí. And that, I think Marta Frades is a wine that it's, it's hard not to love. And I've absolutely yes. love going to Galicia as well as I was saying before about the pulpo a la gallega like anytime I can get my hands on fresh seafood and drink it with some albariño that is like heaven for me I've said to people and I have this is a trip that I've been planning for five years approximately which is to go to Rio Spijas because apart from the fact in Galicia one yes 
Obviously, you have great seafood. They also have a hell of a lot of cows, so the beef up there is amazing. Yeah, it's also very different from the rest of Spain in terms of it's really green, so very very different. And then from Rias Baixas, in a boat, you can get to an island called the Cias Islands or Cias Islands, depends on how Spanish we want to be. So the Cias Islands. Um, I don't suppose you happen to have gone or you know about the Cias Islands. No, please tell me. Well, it's basically this national, it's a national park, you know, one of these kind of protected areas and you can go camping there and it's supposed to be absolutely stunning. Everyone go and Google, but don't go at the same time as me, please. Um, (laughs) But I just thought Albarino, drinking beautiful, drinking beautiful seafood, perhaps eating it too. And then taking a boat and just being out in nature in some stunning place that has obviously a beach surrounding this beautiful foresty national park. I just think it sounds amazing. So it's just on my list of things to do. Yeah, you're so right. The landscape there is much more rugged and the rainfall is much higher than elsewhere in in Spain. I mean, it's mm-hmm. higher than like Manchester. So <laughs> I believe the town that's sort of the heart of the region is Cambados. I went to a really beautiful little seaside town with my friend once. We actually combined a trip to Porto and then drove up to oh. Madafredas as well and we had lunch in Sanchencho, which is a mouthful. That's two X's in that, by the way. Um, Okay. And the weather, as we were saying, was rainy and grey, but it was still amazing. And we had Mm. just too much of a arroz, like paella style dish as well, that we had (laughs) to take it away with us as well and like eat it. Good memories. Yeah, super, super good memories. Spain does great wine and it does good food. But one of the things that we haven't covered and we should quickly look at, we said how beautiful Rio Spaitas Ereglitio is, but actually Rioja, the Cantabrian mountains in the background with the river running through many of the vineyards are very close. In fact, if Aro, where you guys are situated and many of the wineries, you can have such a great few days in Aro and the views are beautiful, right? Totally. And as you say, like one of the things that makes it such a special winemaking region as well and like the climate control as well is because it's sheltered by the Sierra de Cantabria and it's Mm -hmm. got all these mountains it's sheltered in the west by the Sierra de la Demanda as well and Mm -hmm. yeah it's got all sorts of landscape and you can drive through all these like picture perfect towns as well you've got Arrow which is kind of the the little heart as well and it's really picturesque and you can just walk from winery to winery and just Mm. taste that one's the easy one you don't need a car that can be very dangerous the amount of wineries you can visit in one day I know. I tried to keep up with my dad. Yeah. I couldn't. That's the only (laughs) problem about wanting to taste wine and wanting to go on like city breaks to different towns is that you need a driver, really. But yeah, yeah. at all, you can definitely, you can stroll from different wineries. Oh, no. I've got to get back there now. It's just making me feel like I'm feeling homesick and I don't live there at all. Is there any other wines that we haven't talked about? Well, I think people should definitely try the Mirto if you're like splashing out or have a special occasion. The Mirto is our chief winemaker's passion project, I would say. And mm-hmm. that's the wine I was saying that for the Edition Limitada, which you're trying, mm-hmm. we use some of the grapes from the Mirto vineyards going into the Edition Limitada. But the Mirto is just 100% gnarly old granddaddy vine, Tempranillo. <laughs> and love a bit of granddaddy vines. Yeah. 
they are um, not moving particularly fast anymore but they are they've really honed <laughs> their craft and they're producing like awesome just delicious fruit and that's all oh. aged in french oak again and it, it's so the fruit is just so intense and you've got that backdrop of the touch of sort of smokiness you've got like tobacco and all kind of like cigar box notes as well and it's mm. it's delicious with i guess heartier meals like steak or mm-hmm. kind of cured cheeses as well and that's that's one that i would crack out on a special occasion for sure fair greta thank you so much for taking us on actually not just a journey of a roman bilbao and rioca but we we got to go over to ria spichas um and of course rueda as well so oh we all need to get to spain i say this on every <laughs> in almost every podcast with whoever i'm talking to we We've got to go to that country now, but um, I mean it. Gosh, wine, food, culture, travel. It's the best thing in life, in my opinion. Totally. And um, oh. yeah, I'm so sad to be leaving the wine industry for a bit, but also like excited for what I'm doing next. Um, we didn't even say, Greta's abandoning us. She's abandoning <laughs> ship as of literally, by the time you guys listen to this podcast, she will have gone forever. I know. And it's been, it's been like a month of starting to say goodbye for me. And the fact that I won't be going to Rioja when it's beautiful and autumnal and you've got like all these amazing colours. It's such a shame, but I'm trying my best to keep my hand in the wine industry. So I'm starting up a little page, which is Anthrovino, where I'm going to be doing my student life plus drinking wine because you're going to need that. You're going to need the wine during a master's, I'm pretty sure. And you haven't said, just so everyone knows, you're doing the master's in anthropology, right? I'm doing the master's in social anthropology. It's something that fascinates me. And there are a couple of times, like a couple of things you were saying that was just making me think of the discipline really, because I mean, wine is so tied to culture and what I'm mm-hmm. going to be studying is all around just human culture. So people in the wine industry have great discussions around like the culture of wine as well. And I think mm. places like Galicia and Rioja, like their whole identity is tied to the way they make wine and you know generations and generations have like passed Mm -hmm. down their vineyards so there are so many special aspects that anthropology and wine can cross over so I'm going to be exploring those a little bit as well while I do my course well I will put in the show notes your website so that people can see what you're drinking as a student so Thank you so much, Greta. I really appreciate it. And I will be enjoying these wines for the rest of the evening. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. So seeing as Greta was talking about the culture and some of the generations of winemakers, I thought I would touch on some of the interesting points of history for Wines Rioja. Now, if you go back into history, we're talking the 11th century BC with the Phoenicians. Lots and lots of evidence of the Romans doing their part. As a negative Rioja, it didn't have a river that takes you out of the country, for instance, like Bordeaux or like the Loire Valley. And certainly back in the times, if you had a river, it was far easier to transport your goods. However, Rioja always had a decent name, even though it wasn't transporting the wines too far. And that's because of one of the disciples of Jesus called St. James, or in Spain, known as Santiago. Now, he is the patron saint of Spain. When he died, they built a cathedral where his grave is, and the biggest pilgrimage in Spain was created. Now, this pilgrimage, the Camino de Santiago, goes all the way through Logroño and 
through Rioja. So all these people throughout the years who were doing the pilgrimage were always stopping in people's houses and drinking the wines of Rioja. So it always had a name for itself. Now, there were other famous names that have gone down in history of trying to modernize and create better quality wines. One was Manuel Quijano in the 1780s. He went to Bordeaux, learned about oak barrels and brought them back. And the idea was so they could start transporting to the Americas. And he did with success. However, with laws, regulations, you were not allowed to charge more money for a wine that had aged in oak barrels than a wine that hadn't. So it just wasn't viable. And this disappeared. You also had Luciano de Morieta, who might sound familiar. He eventually got the name Marquez de Morieta. You may have heard of this winery. He went over to Bordeaux again to learn techniques, techniques like crushing and fermenting in vats and longer aging of wine in oak barrels because they were trying to figure out why Bordeaux wine was selling so well in London and they wanted to compete. Either way, these two people did really good things for the production and quality of Rioja wines, but it still didn't really do much until the 1860s when Phylloxera came. Now, if you don't know about Phylloxera, do look it up. It devastated most of the vineyards in Europe during the 1800s. Now, it came across from America. It's this disgusting little louse that feeds on the roots and vines and kills them. There are different species in America, so those vines were fine, but when they got brought over to Europe and specifically starting in France, our Vitus vinifera vines couldn't cope and were absolutely absolutely destroyed. So at this point in the 1860s, the French winemakers needed wine, needed to carry on making wine, needed to carry on drinking wine. So Bordeaux to Rioja, not very far. They headed on down and this was also significant because Aro, spelt Harrow, H-A-R-O, had just got a railway station. So this created much more transportation routes, making things much easier. And so you will find if you ever go to Aro, which is the wine capital of Rioja, some of the oldest wineries are literally on either side of the railway station. And that's because the French setup shop, of course, brought all their techniques. The expansion happened, the modernization happened, and quality grew. And that's something that, of course, now we get to enjoy the benefit of. Now, I already finished up on episode 31 with a Salvador Dali quote. However, he is a Spanish artist. This is about Spanish wine, this episode. So I will bring another one of his wine quotes into this. (laughs) And he said, He who knows how to taste does not drink wine, but savours secrets. So I hope you find some beautiful secrets. Go out and get some Ramon Bilbao wines. There are definitely some secrets in there. A big shout out to those of you who've left me some reviews, some comments, the likes, the sharing, everything really helps for this podcast to be slightly more discoverable. So really appreciated. Please subscribe if you haven't already, because can you imagine missing an episode of this? (laughs) Uh, So until another episode, have an amazing week and cheers to you.